Blog Talk Radio. Trying to sell your old car? Instead, donate your vehicle to Heritage for the Blind. Pickup is free and your donation is tax deductible. Just call 1-800-943-1356. Heritage for the Blind accepts cars, vans, trucks, and boats, whether they run or not. Donate your vehicle and you'll receive a free three-day vacation voucher to over 50 locations. Call 1-800-943-1356. That's 1-800-943-1356. Blog Talk Radio. It's the Speedway Show, an idea exchange empowering you to live well, live fully, and love deeply. And now, here's our host, Speedway Pierce. My name is Speedway, and welcome to the Speedway Show, an idea exchange empowering us to live well, live fully, and love deeply by improving the quality of our personal, professional, and spiritual relationships. Visit the website at thespeedwayshow.com to listen to past shows, See what's coming up, read and post comments, and lots of other things. If Facebook is more your speed, you can join in the discussion and listen to posted on-demand shows on your own time on the fan page, facebook.com slash Show. You can also follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash, yep, you guessed it, The Speedway Show. If you would like to listen to the show by phone, you can call in on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. U.S. Central Time, toll-free at 877-560-6033. You don't need to talk. If you don't wish to, you can just listen. You can also Skype in and do a Skype-to-Skype call at no cost during the show. Just look for my contact, speedway.pierce. Well, as all of you know, today marks the 10th anniversary of the 9-11 tragedy. And there's been, of course, a lot of talk about it in the news, lots of commemorations. And as part of that process, I thought I would discuss a topic that many, many people asked when the incident first occurred and have asked before and since. Why me, Lord? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is it that the largest number of people who die young seem to be the good ones? How can the world be a fair place when suffering is allowed to proliferate? Everywhere you look, innocent people are starving, they are dying. And there seems to be no grand design or sense of fairness in who suffers and who does not. And while we're at it, how come some of the most dastardly people appear to fare the best? Living in prosperity and so high on the hog, you can barely see the bottom of their brand new boots. As you can imagine... This can be a really daunting and depressing issue to address. But I don't want to leave you feeling sad and blue, but empowered and hopefully even with a little humor thrown in by way of the clips, or at least some of the clips that we are going to hear today. So chill out and explore with me the various reasons bad things happen to good people. As you can tell from this Uh, topic and this show. This is a show for primarily adults, and we do talk about adult topics. So what I would ask is that you exercise your discretion if you have young ears around. This episode and every other episode of the Speedway Show is available 
on demand anytime on the website 24-7 after it airs. So if you cannot listen or if you cannot listen to all of it, you can always check it out on the website or on Facebook where the shows are going to be posted. Now, one of the things that makes this show so different from other relationship discussions is that we use the life manual as our guidepost for our discussions. Because you have to have a standard by which you measure your life, right? Now, depending on your personal persuasion, your life manual may be the Tanakh or the Hebrew Bible. It may be the Bhagavad Gita. It may be the Quran. It may be the Christian Bible or some other holy writing that speaks to you. While expressed in different ways, the underlying truths about living right, living a godly life, and treating your fellow man have a tendency to be the same. I took a look at a few life manuals in preparation for this particular show, and over the years, I, like probably everybody else, have pondered this question with learned people, with lay people, and uh, I have listened to other people talk about why uh, bad things happen to good people. And there are various reasons that we're going to unpack today on the show for why these things happen. Now, the goal is not for it to be an exhaustive list, but my hope is that it will give you perspective when you look at your own life and ponder the things that have not gone well, and also, hopefully, you will be left with a sense of empowerment and a sense of hope by the time we get done. We are going to start with our first reason, which is personal choice. And to tee this off, I am going to play a piece of a song that I have always loved by the artist Shaggy. The song is aptly called Why Me, Lord? And what I want you to listen for as you listen to this particular clip is listen to the choices that he makes and listen to the consequences of his actions. I used to remember God in your everyday doing, not just when it gets bad. You know what Shut it! Early Sunday morning in the spring of Madison, I'm chilling on my couch watching the bulls against the neck. My honey marches in and asks me if I think I'm sick. He seems to buy my shirt with lipstick. I thought I could explain, but then my story wouldn't fit. Incriminating pics they showed me with some other chicks. It happened once before when she was tired of the trick. She asked me, can I spell the word of it? Why me, love? This church was looking kind of bad. Why me, love? I was the best girl I ever had. Why me, love? I'm the I'm feeling kind of bad. Why me, why me, why me, why me, why me, love? Why me, love? Why me, love? Okay, so you are listening to the Speedway Show, where today our topic is, Why Me, Lord? Why do bad things happen to good people? Visit thespeedwayshow.com to listen to past shows on demand anytime. But um, as to this particular topic, you just listened to what I've always thought was a 
pretty entertaining clip where poor Shaggy's hanging out at his house, no doubt minding his own business, watching the Bulls against the Knicks, when his girlfriend shows up, and evidently she found some lipstick on something, his shirt, and um, this wasn't the first time, and uh, so now he's homeless and he's feeling kind of sad. He's lost the best girl he ever had, and um, then he asked the incredible question, right? Why me, Lord? And uh, the answer is, uh, this is the reason that hits close to home for all of us, and that is the personal choices that we make. And I hope that when you listened to that clip, you were able to chuckle at Shaggy's antics and perhaps see how some things in your own life haven't gone as well as you might have liked because of the choices that you made. This is an issue for all of us. We choose things. We don't necessarily choose the consequences. Sometimes we certainly don't like the consequences. And when we get the consequences, then we throw up our hands and we wonder why uh, we are now being persecuted. On a serious note, though, this does take me directly to the spiritual realm, And let me suggest some things to you listeners about personal choice. This is my personal belief that second only to the gift of life, the greatest gift that God gave us was the gift of choice. I confess that many of my ideas about the uh, human slash God relationship have actually been heavily influenced by my relationship with my children. And here's what I mean by that. Whether you have children in your home or young minds that you deal with or even people who you work with in a business setting, the fact is that most of us on most days would very much like to curtail some of the choices that our children, our friends, our family members, and our colleagues make. A big part of parenting is limiting and extending to your children the right choices in the hope that they will make decisions that are best for them as they learn to balance choice with consequence as they get older. So consider then what a sacrifice it must have been for God, Yahweh, Divine Mother, Allah, creator of the entire universe, to seed and give up the right of choosing only good for each one of us by gifting us with the absolute right to choose for ourselves, even though he knew that some of us, many of us, in fact, would choose to reject him, our divine parent. And he knew that some of us would choose to reject each other. Some of us, yet, would choose to rape, and kill, and enslave, and plunder, and annihilate, and do all of the things that cause so much pain. So while it might sound simplistic at first glance to say that sometimes bad things happen because of the choices that we make and the consequences that follow, It truly is a profound statement about the freedom of the human condition to not only do good, but to do harm to ourselves and others. And if you consider that God gave us complete freedom to choose everything in our lives, then all of a sudden the existence of evil even makes sense, right? Because if you walk into an ice cream shop and your only choice 
strawberry or strawberry or strawberry, that would not give you meaningful options, now would it? Thus, if God gave you free will, but the only choice was to do good or to do good or to do good, that would not give you any measure of options around which you could exercise your freedom to choose. But if he gives you good on one end and evil on the other, now you have meaningful choice. Now you can fully stretch yourself across the entire range of options all across that continuum between those two opposite ends. So let us remember this concept of choice because we're going to come back to it as we go through our discussion today. This takes us to reason number two. Reason number two is uh, uh, going to be illustrated by our second clip where uh, poor Shaggy that uh, we listened to at the outset is going to talk about his next set of calamities. Take a listen. I'm here to let a flip around my flapper shagging I'm calling to some honeys I was sipping on my boots. That's when I saw the poison blue. They pulled me to the side I on even avenue. And looking for a reason and they finally found a few. A case of ammunition with a loaded 32. I can't believe what I'm going through. Why me low? Oh, I'm a god of flip the pack. Why me low? Oh, yeah, it ain't now that we have our arms firmly around the magnitude of the concept of personal choice, hopefully, Let's now explore reason number two, the choices of others. In that clip that we just heard, you know, innocent, innocent, Shaggy is minding his own business once again when this time it's not the girlfriend, it's the cops who show up and um, find some things to hang on him and uh, unfortunately he is carted off to jail. When you think of the choices of others, this really does encompass a whole range of things. Drunk drivers, thieves, rapists, hackers, bombers, killers, all of these people make choices. And some of those choices were made perhaps over short or long periods of time, but they made choices that had a profound and negative impact on the lives of others. 9-11 is a prime example because those hijackers made a series of choices and put a plan of action behind them um, that resulted in unspeakable uh, devastation. And According to the New York uh, Magazine, to give you some idea of the breadth of that incident, the official figure as of uh, September 5th, uh, 2002, was that a total of 2,819 people were killed in the attacks. And that number included 343 firefighters and paramedics, that were killed, as well as 23 New York uh, police officers. These individuals, these 2,819 people who were killed, represented 60 World Trade Center companies that lost people, and they also represented 
115 different nations. And speaking of the negative impact to those left behind, 1,609 people lost a spouse or a partner in the attacks, and 3,051 children lost a parent. 146,100 jobs were lost because of the attacks, and the economic loss to New York in the month following the attacks was $105 billion. Now, I did not realize this, but those fires apparently continued to burn for a whole 99 days after the attack. Did you know that? I didn't know that. And get this, the estimated number of New Yorkers suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of 9-11, 422,000. Did you get that? The death of 2,819 people caused post-traumatic stress disorder for 422,000 of those who were left behind. So it's not surprising to see why many people ask the question, why, why did such a terrible thing happen? Now, it may not be the only reason, but certainly we can draw a straight line between this incident and the choices of the people who were responsible for planning and executing that attack. Now, there are times when people have a tendency to blame God for the calamities in their lives and the lives of their loved ones. Even in contracts today, you see um, terms that talk about uh, the acts of of God when they refer to things like natural disasters. Now, I don't claim to have all the answers by any means, but I do fall into the camp of thinkers that would suggest that God doesn't orchestrate evil things in our lives, but that perhaps he may allow bad things to happen for a variety of reasons. And we're going to talk through some of those reasons today. To tee off our next reason number three, we are going to listen to another clip. Well, that was not the right clip. Let's listen to the right clip. I love you. Esther, did you ever get the feeling that things were tougher for Franklin in the last few years? Tougher? Made some bad investments, Esther. Made some really bad investments. It's just starting to see a turnaround when he passed away. So what does that mean? It means that you have no major source of funds. You will have to liquidate the estate and sell off all your assets just to stay afloat. That's impossible. I'm sorry. How can there be nothing left? There is this. It's not part of the estate, so it's protected from the liquidation. And Franklin bought this in your name in 1999. It's an older eight-bedroom and substantial lot. In my name? But why? The revenue on it from the tenants never even covered the taxes. But I, I do know it's in Jackson, Georgia. You own it free and clear. However, there is a catch. What? You have to go and establish residence. What? It's being used right now as some sort of a uh, non-profit boarding house of some kind. Now, there are tenants, but we are trying to clear them out now. The tenancy laws are very tricky. They could drag their feet being there forever, but your presence can mitigate that. What in the world are you suggesting? That I move to Mississippi? Georgia. And take up residence in a what? A boarding house? It's more than a suggestion, Esther. I can't see any other options here. Unless there's family. You know there is. Esther, I'm trying to make this as plain as I can. You have nothing left but that. And I realize that it is going to be uncomfortable. Uncomfortable? Once they've moved out and you've sold it, you'll have a bit of money. You can make some real choices now. No, I will not leave my home. Everything I've ever known, you cannot expect me to do this. No. So 
Sometimes the unpredictable happens. Life takes a turn through absolutely no fault of our own, and it seems to change everything for the worse. So in that particular clip, you heard a woman whose husband had passed away, and she was now learning from her lawyer, much to her shock and dismay, that because of some of the bad investments that her husband had made, there was no money for her to now live off of. And uh, she was then forced to go and live in this house that he had bought for her, uh, like a boarding house in a whole other state. And um, you, you hear the panic in her voice as she was being forced to contemplate that. You are listening to The Speedway Show, and today our topic is, Why Me, Lord? Why do bad things happen to good people? This takes us to reason number three. And by the way, let me take the the opportunity to say at this point that these reasons are in no particular order. So this is not a uh, hierarchical uh, set of reasons. They are just reasons that are in order, and it just made sense to number them. So reason number three, to bring you closer to God. If you have ever heard anyone talk about dealing with struggles, calamities, things they couldn't control, you have also probably heard stories of how those calamities have brought people into a realm of spiritual awareness and faith in a power greater and higher than themselves. For most people, the most meaningful personal growth seems to occur when we endure trials and tribulations. At the end of the day, if that gets us closer to a loving God who can guide us through life and be there when the hard time comes, all is far from lost. In preparing for today's show, I wondered what the life manuals had to say about this. I found in the Quran, uh, Quran 3962, where it says, God created all things, and he is the agent on which all things depend. Consequently, In the Quran, God informs human beings to seek refuge from God, uh, refuge in God from evil. It says, Say, uh, I seek refuge in the Lord of the dawn from the evil of what he has created. That is the Quran 113, 1 to 2. These two verses are instructional because they not only acknowledge God's creation of evil, uh, which is actually similar to the passage in Isaiah 45, uh, chapter, Isaiah chapter 45, verses 6 to 7 of the Christian and Hebrew Bibles, but uh, the second verse of this uh, that I read in the Quran also advises us to take refuge in God. Now, if you are wondering if I said that correctly, I actually did. Uh, in, I, in the book of Isaiah, God does acknowledge that he is the creator of evil, as well as being the creator of good. And uh, I don't think there are too many people who would argue that to the extent that you believe there is a God, that he is the creator of all things. And, of course, that would encompass both good and evil. Sometimes, therefore, um, we then have, well, I guess all, all times, we have the choice to decide between good and evil in all of its extremes. And that goes back to that whole concept of personal choice, right? You've got to have two things to choose from, uh, and they have to be meaningfully different if they're going to um, give you the measure of freedom that you would really want to exercise. This takes us to 
reason number four. You cannot contravene natural law. Here's what I mean by that. There are certain things in life, there are certain things in the universe that simply are the way they are. And they're not going to change for me, nor will they change for you. You can pray all your life for the moon or for complete dominion over the earth, and it won't happen. You know, many of us parents pray for complete dominion over our kids, and that never happens. However much he loves you, God is not going to bend the laws of nature for you. Uh, nor will he change certain aspects of another's life or another's power to choose just to suit you. Now, I learned this lesson from um, actually my mother when my father passed away. Now, she had known him since she was 17, and she was now 59 when he passed away, which meant that the two of them, my parents, had been best friends for 42 years of my mother's life. And as you can imagine, she was devastated by my father's death. Not too long before he died, I had happened to buy a book that was written by uh, a guru by the name of Paramahansa Yogananda, and it was called In the Sanctuary of the Soul. And it talks about the power of prayer, why some prayers go unanswered, and how to pray from a position of power and faith. I read this book on the flight home to Zimbabwe for Dad's funeral, and it was such a good book that I dog-eared the pages, uh, just about every other page, with the intention of reading this book again. But when I got home and I saw how much pain my mother was in, I just had the impulse to give her this book. I had no idea if anything in it would speak to her. I was hopeful that something would, and I gave it to her anyway. Well, apparently it helped a lot because reading it allowed Mom to find a piece that she had not had. And she then explained to me that part of her anger and pain had been over the unanswered prayer that she should die before my dad. Now, all those years of praying and pleading appeared to have been for naught since this prayer was obviously not answered. And she wondered if God was punishing her. Uh, could it God didn't really love her? Could it be that God was not paying attention? How could he take away her best friend, her companion for all these years, and what on earth could she do, could she do without him? Well, once she read the book and got to the part about God's natural laws, what she came away with was the understanding that Dad's life was his own. He was on this earth for his designated time, and while she was a significant part of his life journey, his lifespan was his to live out. And his departure was not an affront to her, nor did it mean that God didn't love or care about her, but it was really a function of dad's life being dad's life. Now, this is a common prayer uh, between spouses, isn't it? Uh, Lord, let us either die together, and if not that, let me die first. I remember when I got married, that was my prayer because I couldn't imagine uh, life without the spouse. But the reality is that our lifespans are our own, and there are some things that will simply happen on their own schedule regardless of our individual preferences. And this takes us to reason number five, which is, it's not just about you, and it's not just about me either. To illustrate this point, I go to the life manual story that just absolutely jumps out at me on this one, and it is the story of Job. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar, 
in the Christian and the Hebrew Bible, there is a book of Job that tells of a righteous man who was blessed with great wealth. Now, unbeknownst to him, God and Satan had a conversation where Satan essentially approaches God and suggests that Job was a God-fearing man only because God had blessed him so richly with material things and with all of the stuff that Job had. Now, to prove Satan wrong, God allowed Satan to strip Job of everything he had, his livestock, his ten children, and all his wealth. He lost them all. Job had no idea why this had happened to him. His wife, in response to all these horrible things, recommended that he just curse God and die, and his friends tried to convince him at length that he must have surely done something to provoke God into bringing these calamities upon him. So here's poor Job. He's sitting there in ashes. He's wearing sackcloth, and he's tossing ashes on top of his head, uh, and he's just distraught, right? He's singing the shaggy song in, in spades. Why me? Why me? Why me? Why me? And uh, he's not too happy. He's lamenting, and he's crying out to God in his anguish. And Job is also angry because he keeps saying, God, you know, you know I didn't do anything wrong. You know I have followed all your commandments. Why, 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 why am I suffering this way? And not only does Job ask, but Job also demands that God himself would come forth and answer to Job for these horrible things that have happened to him. And at the toward the end of the book, God actually does respond to Job's demands to show himself and explain what Job had done to deserve this terrible punishment. But God does not explain. God did not explain to Job that on behalf of mankind, Job was the example to demonstrate that human beings are much more than the sum of their material things, that our righteousness and choice to do the right thing transcends beyond our physical comforts and personal circumstances. God never told Job that his suffering had not really been about him at all. Sometimes suffering comes because of generational dysfunction. Granddad was a child molester, therefore dad was an alcoholic, therefore son suffers from chronic depression. You see that a lot in things like domestic abuse, where the cycle of violence passes down from one generation to another. And sometimes the purpose of our suffering is to prompt us to understand and serve others who are going through similar challenges. And at other times, suffering comes so that other people who see us go through our suffering might be inspired to adopt some of the coping mechanisms and perhaps some of our faith that we are able to express when we go through these trials and tribulations that life can sometimes bring. So that is the conclusion there on reason number five. Sometimes it's just not about you. And reason number six is really a question, and the question is, why not you? The question of why me basically suggests that there's something special about me that I should not suffer, right? Um, But then if not you, then who? Consider this. We are all someone's child, someone's parent, someone's sibling, someone's loved one or relative. So when you ask, why me? It presumes that because you are special, that you should be exempt from suffering. And it also suggests that the suffering, when I ask that question, why me, I am suggesting that the suffering that I bear should perhaps be better visited upon someone else. And the question is, 
who would you prefer? How about your son? How about your daughter? What about your spouse? Ironically, each and every one of us is someone else to everyone else. Isn't this true? And so the question of why me then really becomes kind of a circuitous and pointless question because why not you? Reason number seven, there is no good reason. So as I said, uh, I lost my dad in um, a couple of years ago, and he, he, uh, he had a heart attack. And if you've ever lost a parent, uh, uh, you know that there is nothing that can describe the grief and complexity of having to deal with that. And if you haven't lost a parent, I sure hope it will be a long time before that happens to you. I remember grumbling to God at one point. Uh, in fact, I think it was the day I heard about it, because I was supposed to go home to Zimbabwe at Christmas, and I couldn't understand why God couldn't have waited. So I am driving home in the car, and I'm just I'm just griping. You know, I can't believe that you took him today. Why, why, why couldn't you have waited? Why? I was going to go home for Christmas. I was going to take the girls. It was going to be lovely. He was so excited. His girls were coming home. My sister was going to come home. Why couldn't you have waited? That was my complaint. The question that came back to me in that still small voice within was, well, when would you have preferred that I take him? Well, I thought about that. And as you can imagine, I didn't have an answer because, of course, no time would have been a good time for me to lose my father. I pondered the question, though, of why he had died and why he left when he did, and that's when I came upon the realization that I'm going to share with you now. The question of why is completely immaterial when tragedy or misfortune strikes. You know why? Because there will never be a good enough answer. If God himself sat in human form in front of me and said, well, you know, your dad was in bad health and his body simply couldn't sustain the life in him anymore, I would not have slapped my knee and said, of course, that makes perfect sense. I see why he had to go now, and now it's okay. Or if God had said, as you know, Speedway, spirit is eternal, and I needed your father to do some other work in the spirit realm. Now, wouldn't that be a profound reason, right? But still, that would not have made it all right that he left. So now let's apply this concept more broadly to other things that might befall us in this life. A person is diagnosed with cancer. One of the statistics I came across when I practiced toxic tort litigation is that, and I'm going by memory now, so if any of you have a better number, please don't call me to correct me because the, the point is just illustrative. But the, the, the number that comes closest in my memory is something like 80% of all cancers are idiopathic which means that while we may know what kind of cancer it is, we don't know what caused it. So, for example, somebody might say, well, we, we recognize breast cancer and we know what it looks like. We recognize lung cancer, but we can't explain why, for example, a non-smoker who has never had higher exposure to secondhand smoke than the rest of us might get lung cancer. Is the cause genetic? Is it environment? Is it the food we eat? Some things we just don't have we just don't have answers for. But even in that circumstance, somebody has cancer. The question that I would challenge you with here is if a person who was diagnosed with cancer actually received a definitive reason for it, what would that change? If a smoker gets lung cancer and knows that the reason they got lung cancer was because they smoked. What does that change in the context of their life at that moment? If you lose a limb, 
a child, a loved one, what answer would satisfy you? At the end of the day, if you are asking the question, why did such and such a bad thing happen, ask yourself if there is any answer that would be a good enough answer. And the reality is what you might find is the same thing that I found when I was asking why my dad died, which was you're not looking for an answer. You're not looking for a reason. What you're really looking for is a reversal of what happened because actually, you know, for most of us, we don't really, really care why. So on to reason number eight. We are not promised comfort. If it is the case that God allows bad things to happen, you might ask why a loving and just God would allow evil to occur in our lives. When it comes to the acts of other people that they perpetrate um, to cause, you know, death and all manner of things, um, we've talked about this concept of choice and the fact that the gift is unconditional but also the fact that God may at times not interfere to the point of averting the evil deeds that people choose to undertake doesn't mean he doesn't love us. There is no life manual that I'm aware of where God actually promises us comfort and good times, not even when we choose to love him and try to follow the instructions of our life manuals. In fact, in my life manual, which is the Christian Bible, Jesus uh, kind of does the opposite. You know, Jesus himself, for those of us who believe that he was, you know, the Son of God and the Messiah and, you know, a, a member of the Holy Trinity, even Jesus himself, when he came down in the flesh, was subjected to all manner of evil in the form of persecution before his uh, crucifixion. And during his lifetime, he not only predicted his own ultimate persecution and his uh, death, but he also predicted persecution for his disciples and those who love God. So in the final analysis, even the people who followed their life manuals are not exempt from hardship, persecution, trials, tribulations. So it's fair to assume that, especially if you've lived any length of time, that no one is exempt from suffering. This takes us to the question of what should we do? What do we do when we're faced with difficulties, particularly the big ones? The loss of a loved one, catastrophic illness, divorce, which is commonly rated by experts in the field as being as bad as death. The immediate task that I found before me when my father died was to have to find a way through the pain and to focus on healing, turning my attention to taking care of myself and my family and my mom and my sister and all of the other people in my family as best I could, as best I could to try and get over the impact of this event. We all have a choice of dealing with tragedy in a constructive or destructive way. For example, counselors that provide coaching on getting through divorce, for example, talk about the great temptation to run for cover from the pain, uh, from, uh, from short-term fixes that don't provide long-term healing, such as rebound relationships, alcohol, drugs, over-reliance on sex, and other things that may provide some immediate relief. All accounts that I have read to date say these things don't work and they're not effective or positive substitutes for dealing head-on with the grief that comes or whatever the negative emotions are that come in the aftermath of a tragedy or traumatic event. All that these things do is they suspend and prolong the time that it takes to heal because when it comes to the the grieving process, you can't go around it. You can't skip over it. You, can, you can't fly under it. You just have to go through it. And I can say this with confidence, having had to go through a divorce and the grieving process over a significant death, no matter how painful it is to get through, 
whatever you have to deal with, you will get to the other side. Um, Somebody said once, that which does not kill you makes you stronger. And sometimes I think that's because, you know, when you're going through it, what you're really hoping is that it will kill you and then it will be over. And um, you get up the next day and you're still there and you still got to get up and you still got to move on. But there will come a day when that perpetual knot in your stomach is gone, even when you encounter reminders of what you had to go through. There will come a time when you have the emotional bandwidth to care again about your appearance, the landscaping in around your home, when you have the energy and level of caring to enthusiastically sustain discretionary life like plants or pets in your environment even when you couldn't before. Now, we talked about um, the fact that each of us is endowed with this powerful gift of choice. And that, but, but that choice also begets consequences. In the Christian Life Manual, Jesus tells us that as you sow, so shall you reap. And in the book of Galatians, uh, chapter 6, verse 7, it also says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Put another way, uh, Some people phrase this concept by saying what goes around comes around. Hindus consider this the divine law of karma, that all things in human existence balance themselves out. So let's take a run through some of the villains in our lives, uh, in our lifetimes that we have heard and know about. Um, You only need to think about somebody like, for example, Adolf Hitler. This guy in the name of racial hygiene Um, between 1939 and 1945, systematically killed uh, somewhere between 11 to 14 million people, uh, and some estimates would go about as high as 50 million people, including approximately 6 million Jews, representing two-thirds of the Jewish population in Europe. In his later years, Hitler suffered from tremors and irregular heartbeat, which was suspected to be Uh, as a result of late-stage syphilis. Did you know that he also allegedly suffered from Parkinson's disease, monarchism, which is the medical condition of having one testicle? He had eczema in his legs. He had a non-cancerous polyp removed from his throat. He was addicted to amphetamines, and he sometimes contemplated suicide. All three women that he was romantically involved with attempted suicide. Go figure. In the end, Hitler's wife, Eva Braun, bit into a cyanide capsule and killed herself. Hitler shot himself with his uh, pistol, the same one that his niece had used to kill herself. Hitler and Braun's bodies were put in a bomb crater, doused with gas, and set on fire. Closer in time to us, we all remember what happened to Saddam Hussein, Osama bin Laden, Bernie Madoff, Danny Hacker, Hosni Mubarak, Muammar Gaddafi, just recently. So, not feeling quite so envious of their wealth and previous comfort now, are we? On a smaller scale, think about the villains in your life. And I use the term villain very, very loosely. The bully who grew up, never changed, did well for a while, and suffered the crash of his life. The woman who swindled you out of your job, your money, your home, or whatever it was, and today you can plainly see that none of that cheating has served her well because she's lost, alone, and depressed. You may not be around to see the downfall, but over the course of our human and spiritual existence, we all reap what we sow. The thought I want to leave you with is that events or circumstances that we might label as bad are not necessarily hopeless, and they don't have to end badly. In the show I did on September 4th called Good Is Not Enough with thought leader, successful executive and author Keith R. White, he quoted a phrase out of his life manual that all things work together for good to them that love God. In other words, no matter what happens, God, Divine Mother, Yahweh, 
can always use the event, the most horrible events in good and positive ways. Consider some random examples. Mahatma Gandhi. It was because of racial and ethnic persecution that Mahatma Gandhi became the preeminent political and ideological leader of India during the Indian independence movement. Leaders of civil rights movements from the United States to South Africa all the way out to the Philippines were inspired by Gandhi and followed his principles of nonviolence. It was because she lost her 13-year-old daughter in a drunk driving accident that a woman named Candace Leitner founded Mothers Against Drunk Driving or MAD whose mission is to stop drunk driving, support the victims of this violent crime, and prevent underage drinking. The legal age, the legal drinking age, was increased from 18 to 21 because of the lobbying efforts of MAD. In 2007, prominent motivational speaker and my favorite motivational speaker, Zig Ziglar, suffered a fall down the stairs in his home that changed his life and the life of his family forever. His recovery was really difficult, but because of it, he published an inspiring work called Embrace the Struggle. Listen to his son talk about that. Zig Ziglar, my father is in a struggle right now, a struggle so profound and so real that by sharing it with you, I believe you will be filled with hope and encouragement. The gift that God has given Dad is the gift of encouragement and the ability to transfer hope to others so that they can rise above whatever circumstance they are in. As Dad has always said, getting knocked down in life is a given. Getting up, starting from where you are and moving forward is a choice. On March 7, 2007, our family experienced what Dr. James Dotson calls a suddenly. I was out of town when I got the call. I went numb as I listened to my sister Cindy's voice. Dad fell down the stairs. He has a serious head injury, she said. Suddenly our family joined millions of other families facing similar circumstances, and life became very different. Dad, at 80 years of age, lost the vitality for which he was renowned. He no longer moved with the energy and agility of even a 65-year-old man. Almost overnight, he aged 15-plus years, and thus began to struggle to live with and overcome the effects of a brain injury. The next weeks were anxious ones as we figured out the impact of the accident and the possibilities for recovery. The calendar became filled with doctor's appointments and more doctor's appointments. Life was changing fast. But the amazing thing was that Ed's attitude never changed. I knew that he heard all over from falling down a 16-step staircase onto a marble floor. I could see that his balance was impaired and his short-term memory was really short, as he likes to say, but still he was as optimistic and, if possible, even more loving than before the fall. As usual, he was more concerned for us than he was for himself. Focus on what you can do, not what you can't do. I've heard Dad say that hundreds of times. It isn't what happens to you, but how you respond to what happens to you that makes the difference. Go as far as you can see, then you can see farther. These are words my father has taught and words he lives by daily, and that is why I'm so excited about this book. Once again, my father is using his circumstances, as unfortunate as they may be, to encourage others in their own struggles. As my sister Julie says, he is willing to be transparent, and he continues to write and speak because he wants to show his audiences that life on life's terms is well worth living. Life may never be the same again, but that doesn't mean it can't be just as wonderful and fulfilling in an entirely new and different way. My wish for you as you journey through this book is that you will count your blessings until your gratitude bucket is full. And if you or someone you love is in a struggle, take courage and press on, because, as the Ziegler family has learned, it is in the depths of the struggle that God reveals his eternal blessings. Embrace the struggle. Tom Ziegler, proud son of Zig Ziegler. So the point there is always remember that it's not what happens to you, 
but how you respond that makes all the difference. And this brings us to the end of our show today. Join me next week for another episode where I will be talking with Sheila Ford, author of Love Letters to Him. You might remember her from a wonderful interview she did on June the 26th entitled Bad Relationships, How Do They Happen and How Do You Heal? She will be talking to us about how do you have a successful relationship with God. So until next week, this is Speedway Pierce saying go in peace and we'll see you again. Thank you for joining us on the Speedway Show. Until next time, live well, live fully, and love deeply.